This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> Kia ora and welcome to episode 135 of the Harsh Measures Podcast. I am once again joined by my friend and co-host, Mr. Paul Kanawa. How you doing, pal? Kia ora, Dan. I am, I'm, I'm good, but it has been a mad week, right? I mean, both you and I, since we last saw each other for a podcast, it's been a mad week. I've been on like, I've been on six flights. I've traveled to three locations, some for business, some with the Fano. And yet, Dan, I still watched some incredible things this week. It's amazing what you can do in a week. I exactly like we've been traveling all around the country and I'll tell you one thing that is like because of the the half measures commitment having to watch stuff but I've had to watch it on my phone so I feel like I've watched a lot of like content which I would typically love to enjoy on a big screen tv in the comfort of my lounge and I'm like huddled over my my iphone watching episodes of of Andor you know it's, it's not ideal but it's um you got to do what you got to do it is a good time to be alive to be able to have the option to do that because if you were unable to watch all these things, um, you'd be coming in pretty light on this podcast, right? Indeed, indeed. Well, Paul, shall we uh, jump straight on into it? What have you been watching this week? Okay, so this week, six-part British TV series, Quintessential Kanawa, um, Anatomy of a Scandal. Um, so this is a Netflix, uh, series that came out, uh, just a couple of months ago. Um, it's a, it's a sexual consent scandal, uh, amongst British privileged elite and, and the women that get caught up in its wake. And, um, it's when they talk about the privileged elite, we're talking about cabinet ministers, you know, front, uh, front benches at the House of Commons, you know, so the, the, the scandal is, is front page news. Um, this is a really good watch. It's six parts, but it goes pretty quick because you sort of, you, you want to watch another, you want to watch another four really strong leads in the cast. Each of them were just superb to watch. Rupert Friend, um, such a quality actor. I, I seem to not have really seen much of his, his work at all, other than obviously what we've watched together, Homeland and his role in Obi-Wan. I'm like, why is this guy not front and center in more things? He was so good in this. We've got Sienna Miller, uh, another one of those actresses who sort of, again, just seem to, I just haven't seen for a few years, but she always puts in a really good turn. She's really strong. Michelle Dockery, um, she plays the, so this is obviously courtroom. She plays a, a barrister, a prosecution barrister, which is perfect for her because if you think about her as Lady Mary in Downton Abbey, she's got such a great judgy voice already. She's so perfect for that role. And then the fourth lead is Naomi Scott, who I talked about a couple of weeks ago. In, uh, she's one of the new Charlie's Angels. And and she plays uh, the very central part in in all of this really, really well too so so yeah this was um a nice find uh, this was uh, uh something that diana sort of added into the mix and i had a really intense watch but really worthwhile i i think this is our new favorite thing paul like limited series mini series it's the place to be you get the sort of the the depth of the story it's kind of one and done as you say the, the cast looks great i I had this sort of funny thought while you were talking that wouldn't it be just so funny and I have no idea what Rupert Friend's role is in this movie but like could he come in as his role as the Grand Inquisitor <laughs> like imagine if you just got to come in and, as these different characters that you've played in the past and it's but it's a serious story and how that would all play it's out. It's funny because his voice in this because because it's British and, and he's British is is so so much like his inquisitive voice in terms of his judgy tone and the way he looks down on you uh, compared to how he is as Peter Qu as, right. as the Quinn, sorry, Peter Quinn in, in Homeland. Um, it's, uh, it's great. It's, we're really like diverging a little bit here just quickly on Rupert, but like, I just, every time I see him, I just think of just how much I loved him in Homeland yeah. and I, oh, just such a, such a great, great actor. Well, this is a, this is good Paul. And I, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. It looks like a, a good easy watch and Netflix. You yeah. Know. And it's, it's, it's had some mixed reviews, but I think, um, I think it plays really well. I think it plays in a really gray area in terms of, um, 
of, of, of who do you sympathize with and, and how much from a moral perspective what's the right thing what's wrong um what's the what is justice in what's going on because some of the character motivations are, are, are fascinating and again because it's high profile with a, a uk cabinet minister who's a lifetime best mate of the prime minister and of course that's rupert's character being accused of these things so it walks the line of 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 where is the line really cleverly and and i guess for anyone hearing that out of context but having seen that it might sound like i'm being a bit presumptuous to to question that because of course the line should be where the line is but the facts of the story the motivations of the histories of these characters it's a really strong dilemma storyline and and in many ways you could start pointing the finger in all kinds of directions so it really sort of plays in that space really well I'm intrigued, even looking at the, the cover art, actually, you know, as you talk about the line, there's, there's quite an intentional line on, on the, on the IMDb sort of photo of yes. this, which, you know, even kind of, you know, what you're saying this kind of resonates. Yeah. Some of the plot twists were, you'd sort of think, really? Would they really do that? But the script is good. The production is great. Mm-hmm. The cast, as I say, is great. And it does this really good thing in transition of scenes. So, like, if you imagine you're in a courtroom and then all of a sudden, uh, this, the, the, the character's surroundings change uh, and they're in a different scene and they do it in a way I've never seen before and that was really good and of course there's that other clever thing they do where you'll see a similar scene played out four different ways and, and each time you see that experience it's from the perspective of someone else's memory of it and it's very subtly different or sometimes very obviously different And but you know it, it's it's really important in a, in a courtroom case as to what actually happened so so there's lots of things here i think if, if you like a tense courtroom if you like a british drama a bit of government a bit of betrayal a bit of scandal thrown in I, I would say this is worth a watch this is this is good quality i'm going to edit the list this could be a, a great weekend watch for me excellent then well, well like you busy week that's all i've got other than the two things we've watched together so i'll throw back to you what have you been watching well, I am equally sort of coming in a little, a little bit light this week. So, uh, I've got a, I've got a movie. That, that's all I've got. I'm. It's a poor effort <laughs> for me. I'm coming in this week with uh, the 2022 movie Thor: Love and Thunder. So this is uh, one of the the latest Marvel movies. It's just uh, come out on Disney Plus, and this is another uh, Taika Waititi um, Thor movie. And it's been met with quite mixed reviews, which I, I coming into this movie, I I haven't read any of the reviews, um, but I was kind of aware of the, the mixed level of appreciation for it. And I've got to say, Paul, this is probably the first Marvel movie I've I've watched in a very long time where I thought this is not for me. Mm. And and I kind of felt a bit sad about that. So so basically the, the premise here is Thor enlists the help of Valkyrie Korg and his ex-girlfriend Jane Foster to fight Gore the God Butcher, who intends to make the gods extinct. So first of all, on paper, you know, this this should be all the guns. So first of all, Taika Waititi, mm. who, who we love on the pop. We've got, obviously, uh, Chris Hemsworth back as Thor. Great. We've got Natalie Portman back from the very first Thor movie, our, our Padme. So she's she's in as Jane Foster. We've got Christian Bale. That's Christian massive. Bale. In a massive. Marvel movie. Yeah. We've got Russell Crowe. We've got Idris Elba. We've got, um, we've got half of the, well, most of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Like, we've got Chris Pratt. We've got Dave Bautista. We've got Karen Gillian. Um... We've got, so where the sort of I guess the Marvel uh, movies are kind of left off. Thor is with the Guardians of the Galaxy. They kind of part ways early in the film, so that this becomes a, a really sort of Thor centric film. And the film is almost kind of the movie is almost kind of told a little bit from this other character Call's kind of perspective, and it's kind of reflecting on the journey that Thor's been on reconnecting with um you know one of his loves which is is natalie portman and so natalie portman's character basically she's she's dying of cancer but when she she's worthy enough to pick up thor's hammer and by picking up thor's hammer it basically like it it heals her it makes her better Mm. again but it's also kind of just it's also making her weaker every time because when she puts down the hammer 
her her cancer is sort of coming back, and so it's kind of this um, this complex story of sort of Thor kind of still working out like who he is in this in this sort of evolved universe. He's he's lost everyone around him. Um, his girlfriend Jane's also kind of wielding the hammer. There, there, there's all sorts of stuff going on in here, but I think the the thing with this movie that kind of I think felt a bit forced a lot was the humor. So right. in the previous in the previous Thor movie, uh, like that kind of classic Kiwi humor really just sort of had a sweet spot. Whereas I think in this film, it kind of overstayed its welcome a little bit, and it instead of kind of being charming and and a little bit unique, it, it kind of it was a bit cringy. And the story overall, despite all these like fantastic actors and kind of like great components of the story, just wasn't entertaining. And this generally was a movie where as we were watching it, we were like, we can't wait for this to be done. And it's less than two hours as well, so that's uh, um, a, a relatively short run for a Marvel movie as well. It's, it was really interesting to hear because I've heard similar things uh, online and also from a, a couple of other people, but um, I was interested because I knew this would come on your radar, what your take would, would be on it. It's, it's, you know, it's borderline and refreshing to hear that sometimes they don't all hit the map because sometimes I think uh, sometimes, it, it, you know, that, that gives me a sense of, you know, what, what is truly good and, and what isn't. It's a, it's a surprise that this one doesn't hit the map given that Thor is such a, a big success and a, a, a well-loved character and Chris Hemsworth obviously is, you know, always good. For, I mean, he looks gigantic in this movie as well, by the way, he looks like he's really gone to town. Um, he's a beast. He's a beast, right? And I think this is the thing. I think with the Marvel universe in general, like we, we just reached such a high at the end of the Avengers and it's almost kind of like we've, kind of played out a little bit or we're we're dropping down that bell curve as they kind of start to introduce a a new era of heroes with the the new phases of marvel and it's 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 hard to almost go back to kind of these like individual stories a little bit and you know i think and i think they're moving back into this like we're slowly bringing everyone back to connect Mm. but you know you know what society is like paul like you know it's it's like marvel was everything uh, in the sort of superhero space, now it's kind of dropping down a little bit, and like, can they bring it back? I don't, I don't know, but it's um, it definitely, it, it just, it didn't leave me with a great, a great taste, a great flavour. Interesting. It's the the reaction that you gave, the the look on your face when you said it was really disappointing because it wasn't for you. I get that because that's when this is a franchise that you, you clearly invested in and you've seen it all and you love it all. And, and, and that's, I would imagine probably what my face that like when I was talking about Picard season two, it's kind of like, you, you know, you don't want to see a franchise you love or characters you love, not, not produce something quality for you. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, like with movies like this, like I'm not expecting every single one of them to be a, a, a four guns, but I kind of, a, expect most of them to be better than better than average and i think this this unfortunately is is probably a bit of an an average movie for me Mm. so bit of a bit of a miss for me but i guess you can't have them all like by no means has it turned me off the the marvel universe there's still a lot of good stuff to come out um and i i think again watching it on disney plus like like it's just, if I went to the movies, I might have been a bit more frustrated. But watching it in the in the comfort of my home, it's not yeah, too bad. Yeah, no, for sure. I wonder what Christian Bale, his feeling is with the reviews and the mixed sort of reaction because he'd he'd turned down the possibility of being in any more comic book or superhero films. He sort of said that it was it wasn't interesting to him from an acting perspective, having you know been Batman, and he he agreed for this one because he was so impressed by Taika Waititi's previous work and his kids were begging him to do the role and so i'm sure he got a lot out of it but i wonder if that might be he's he's like that is me done i wonder well and and i hear through the through the news desk grapevine that uh the next thor movie is probably not going to be directed by taika either because of the the mixed reviews Mm. here which is a shame and i think i i actually think taika is almost like better to come in and do sometimes like do do something different, really disrupt the scene, and then go and do something else. Like, is this is, is that the best way to have sort of Taika involved in these kind of big franchises? Yeah, I, 
rather than kind of ongoing. Yeah, and I wonder because you know we we talk about his work quite a lot, and whenever he's in the director's chair, we always really appreciate what he's done. Um, I wonder is is that his strong suit and his writing is the writing side of it not quite so strong? I don't know because there's a lot of great stuff that he has written, and of course he's writing and directing the the Star Wars film that comes out in 2025. But uh, mm. I feel like I feel like I have got faith that he's. This is just this is just uh, this one that just doesn't quite hit the mark. I, so this is right, like because like I'm I'm also a big Taika fan. I think he is a good writer and he's he's written amazing stuff. I think this is just the combination of a little bit of probably superhero fatigue, a little bit of kind of like uh, where we're at in the Marvel sort of timeline fatigue, combined with just. Uh, that sort of style of maybe overused style of humor. Um, yeah, look, I, I, I'm I'm still intrigued what he would do in the Star Wars in the Star Wars universe. Oh, I'm still a big fan, so yeah. yeah. I I think yeah, just a overall a little bit of a miss for me. But when you watch it, as I say, when you're watching it on Disney Plus, it's it's an easy watch yeah, for sure. Um, Dan, before we go any further, I do have to ask because I've, I've never seen this before whilst recording a podcast. I see you've got a pen in your hand. I see you're sort of right. Mm. I've never seen you taking notes. Are you critiquing my performance? Are you making notes? Of, what, what's going on with the pen? So this is a performance for you people. <laughs> That's what I thought. Um, it's every year I like to um, just sort of make some notes mm-hmm. on you know what what you're up to, your how engaging you are as a host. No, what what <laughs> what I'm actually doing is I'm writing down the time codes for the podcast uh, for the, and I normally write them into my yes. phone and it, I often find that a bit clunky so I thought if I use like, I'll just go old school with paper I appreciate paper. a bit of old school yeah that's good that's good yeah yeah. so no that's that's the reason for my pen it's all business very good then should we go across to our first shared watch of the week and that is the first four episodes that have dropped so far of the new Star Wars series Andor Indeed, we shall. So, uh, Andor, for those people that are not in the know, not in the in the Star Wars realm of activity, is basically a, a prequel series to the Star Wars Rogue One movie, and it's it's an era filled with danger, deception, and intrigue, um, and it stars Cassie and Andor, who's going to embark on a on a path that's destined to turn him into a, a rebel hero. So, this is a bit of a, I think a, this is our. I think our first very different Star Wars TV show to what we would typically, you know, what we've seen with The Mandalorian, what we've seen with um, Obi-Wan Kenobi. This is this is tonally different. The storytelling is a little bit more uh, paced like you would expect on a more, I don't know, is adult the right word, a, a, a more mature sort of like uh, TV show that you might be accustomed to watching. They're, they're not, it's a TV show in my mind, and I'm intrigued to hear what you think, Paul, that's not rushing to kind of give you big Star Wars fan service moments. They are wanting to tell a well-paced, well-timed story that's not uh, not paying fan service because that's just the Star Wars thing to do. And it's been a, it's kind of been a different I had to get into a bit of a different headspace to watch this one, but so far I've been enjoying it. What, what about yourself? Yeah, I the, the very first thing you said is about the pace, and that is one thing that I really like about this. It's a real deliberate change of pace, and I've spoken actually to a few people who who do not like the pace, um, and there's a lot of um, uh, differing reviews online about that too. But I I have no issue with a Star Wars series taking its time. Dan? What is going on in the House of Commons? I feel like um, I love it when you're like, I've spoken to it's like you've got a small council of yes. people that like, you gather around and you're like, you, you get their opinions before Correct. the show. And it's like they, they do not agree. Oh, these, these people I talked to I, would, would not make it into the House of Commons. But uh, yeah, it's like Palpatine with his banking advisors, you know, when they surround him. Oh, yep. That's the, the, little, the little council I go into. I think. There's just so much different stylish wise. Um, like you say, it's not, if you look at the Mandalorian or Boba Fett or, or any of the series which you've had so far, it's, it feels different. It's gritty. There's elements of this for me. And obviously we're going to be talking spoilers here, by the way, but there's elements of this that felt almost Blade Runner-ish to me. And I think the real success here 
is having Tony Gilroy at the helm of this. I think he is a great choice for two reasons. One, firstly, of course, he wrote you know he wrote the screenplay for Rogue One, and you know we love that movie. We reviewed it a few months ago, and the feel of that movie. If anyone has the right to step in and write a, a prequel series, it's him. And secondly, I think he knows how to bring that balance of um, of, of drama and thriller type feel to the screen, just like he did with the Bourne series. You know, he wrote the screenplay for all of them, or at least I think four out of five. And there's and, and he directed one as well. And 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 the I'm not saying that there's a real Cassian Endor Jason Bourne comparison here, but they're both on a mission. I feel like there's something around the connection, the, the tension and the, and the mission that Cashin's on that lends itself well to uh, Tony Gilroy's style. And, and I just think it's a great opportunity to, to learn about this character. Cause I remember, you know, the first time you see Rogue One and of course at the end, you're, you're, you're kind of sad because the characters have, have died in, in getting the, the Death Star plans to the rebels. Um, but more than anything, it's like, yes, it's sad, but it's like, I wanted to know more about these characters. So this is a series I never thought we'd ever get. And because they're going so deep and 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 taking their time so much, you could watch that and almost not know it was a Star Wars series for a vast majority of the time, which is something we've never been able to say before. And I think, I think a couple of things. Um, I think for a lot of people, this might be a better series to actually save up. Like if you're yes. someone who needs that satisfaction, then I uh, then save up how save up all your episodes because I I guess what I'm finding with these first four episodes is like often like it's the end of the episode. And I'm like, oh god, we didn't get anywhere near as far as I as I thought we would. But I think to watch it as a as a whole season will be a a real joy and delight. The other thing uh, of note for for us is when we started watching it, Samara made the comment, she's like, I already feel not invested in Cassian Andor because because I know the outcome of Rogue One. <laughs> and it's 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 just funny because I I'm like you Paul, like I'm kind of more like I'm I'm loving the backstory. I, I know that it doesn't it takes away a little bit of the is he gonna get out of it. But I think there's still so many things that could happen that it, it didn't worry me. But I, I do wonder if that's probably a an issue that a lot of um, a lot of people may have is like is, is the risk and tension there because they already know the outcome. So I I see that view. I would maybe challenge that from the point of view of um, I you know we enjoyed seeing the Anakin Vader journey in the prequels or even in the Obi Wan series, and yet we always knew that come the end of Return of the Jedi that he he's also gone. Um, I guess it's because there's so little of Andor after this. It's like, it's literally after the series he's on, he's on the mission in Rogue One and he's done. But uh, it's for me, I always find with the prequel series, it's just like we talked about with, with Better Call Saul, you, you're never, the, the fear and the tension is never around the main character because we know that that character is going to survive. And so there's never, I don't like it when a, a TV show sometimes tries to create tension around a character. Oh, maybe they'll get, you know, they did that with, oh, I'm not going to get into Star Trek, but it doesn't work. And they don't try and do it here either. They, and I think they, they, they just, they paint a story and yeah, I, I see that view, but um, it'd be interesting because we've got a couple of seasons here and I understand, was it you who told me or someone else about how the first couple of seasons is going to be you know and then it's going to be squashed into one season is that right the last year yeah there's a, there's a bit of a time jump mm. so i think between the first season and the and then the second season also does a like another time jump so that it's kind of in, in two different parts yeah so um i guess we'll see but I, I yeah i know what you mean and i think because it feels different um the investment for some people because you made the point about the the the, the 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 fan service and a lot of the criticism labeled at um book of boba fett and obi-wan kenobi and even mando a little bit has been that it's too much fan service uh, it's a little too on the nose and that is i mean that's not a view i hold by the way um but i know a lot of mm. people do feel that way mm. but this show represents something that that criticism could not be applied to i mean with you know obviously they, they're bringing in a couple of characters like mom mothman or whatever but there's no sort of um i've seen a few memes of like a picture of andor and then beneath it if dave filoni was doing andor and then it's got like andor surrounded by like 700 star wars characters and i think that criticism is unfair but i i know what people are saying and so for those fans 
I'm really interested to hear what they think about this. That I'm trying really hard not to do in this series because I don't think this is a series to give us that fan services. My my brain is exploding with, could we get a, a young Thrawn? Are we going to get some Orson Krennic? Are we going to, you know, like, do we get some K2SO? Like, I think, I don't think we'd get any of those things in season one, but could there be that touch point in season two? And it's, I'm really trying hard not to go too, too big on those things because I, I don't think this, the intent of Andor is to give all those hardcore connections. Oh, make no mistake. You can quote me on this. This series will go there eventually. And I think you're right. I think it will be season two. I think they will link. And I think it's important that they link through uh, some characters. I thought uh, in episode four, the latest episode to air so far, when we go into the ISB, um, which is something which is talked about a lot in the novels, a lot in the yeah. I, going into that intelligence space um, is, um, you know, if you think about that, the, the story of um, Inferno Squad and, and Battlefront, being able to see into that. So this is these are the guys, for anyone who's not as geeky as we are, who wear the white uniforms, and you don't see too many of them. So we're talking people like Krennic, where if you if you pay attention to A New Hope, when Tark and Invader walk into the room of all the Imperials, there's one guy there in a white uh, white jacket. That, that element of it, I thought, was fascinating. And I did, I even did allow myself to sort of think, they wouldn't show Thrawn sat at that table. They wouldn't show Krennic, you know, whatever. Um, but I think eventually they'll dive into that. They'll make a, a couple of connections. Um, and I can't wait for that. And the other, the other thing for me that I really have appreciated and noticed more in this series than any other is the accents. I love the, mm-hmm. the accents. The series sounds like it's set largely in a British colony. It's like, uh, you've got every accent from all over from Scotland to London. There's a variety of different ones. Uh, and Rupert Vasita as the police chief, the guy who wanted to shut it all down and cover up the two murders that Cassina committed. He is superb. I don't know that he's going to have a big part in this going forward, but I enjoyed him in, in Bridgerton and the crown and he's got a, a great voice. And um, on the subject of Cassian's murders, just quickly, that's another thing that makes that character potentially hard to invest in because you see him and we saw this at the start of rogue one. He comes straight into the scene on rogue one and within two minutes he's putting the gun the blaster at the back of the dude from line of duty and taking him out in this series we've already seen him take out a couple of people so we know this is a good guy at heart we know that he's going to be the one that's going to ultimately do what has to be done to save the galaxy and get those death star plans out but as a character he's he's in that gray space massively well and i think this is the most non-star warsy thing about it right like there's always been uh you know, murder and death in Star Wars, but it's often more at the Empire side or sort of portrayed by Sith. It's, it's you know, the, the rebels in particular are always mostly portrayed as kind of like, you know, doing good. Whereas I think Cass, and this is why I say I think it's a bit of a, a more mature theme is I think Cassian's character bring, brings something a bit darker than we typically see with a with a, a hero character. Yeah, oh, it really does. And, and I think, that's really refreshing because at no point do I trust whether he's going to do the right thing or if or what how far he'll go to get what he needs done done and so that makes it really quite fascinating another quick shout out Dan Fiona Shaw we really enjoy her in Killing Eve and a number of other shows she's just brings a real sort of oh use the word majesty but some sort of real great quality to the screen in all of her scenes um been enjoying her so far too yeah indeed i think one of the things that did make me laugh in or last maybe the wrong word is uh when her character takes uh young kessa from yeah. from the the village to protect him from uh from basically being captured by the empire but it just seemed like the the most craziest concept yeah and you know, just in this day and age, just this this white woman coming and mm-hmm. taking this kid. Just what else is like? What is going it, on here? It was like, not lost on me. I can tell you that much. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you one thing. I would be interested in your thoughts on Paul. Is what do we think about these uh, droids that are that are speaking? Yeah, like it, it's interesting, eh? Because 
because of course you know 3po k2so um l3 it's it's we've, we've always had speaking droids but they've always been the ones that are tall or stood up and walking around all kind of humanized yeah. droids they like the ones that have it yeah and it's it's like it's both helpful and I think I think Star Wars always does a great job of making you really care about yes. droids, whether no matter what, what, like whether they're they're beeps and boops or whether they're whether they're speaking. And it's just, it was just sort of it threw me initially to have this kind of uh, R two style droid that that could fully speak, but still with a little bit of a, a quirk. And I I did enjoy that. Yeah, I since you've gone there, I wasn't going to mention, it, but since you've gone the the B two droid that's got the stutter. I don't. I don't find that necessary. I don't find that. Uh, it's not. It hasn't grown on me. But I, I don't know how much of a future in the series that that droid has. I don't know. Is it because of like this, like why the stutter when it's a droid, or is it the? It could be some technical reasons as to why that happened, and I'm fine with that. But it's too often, and I just. I just, I don't know. I, I just think for anyone who has a stutter, what the what the reaction to that might be, I really, I really don't right. know. But um, like that's a, it's a minor point. I find um the voice fine. Um, I think um, just going back to you know talking about the the Imperial Security Bureau, the ISB, we we see them in episode four, but for the first two episodes specifically, you can feel the Empire. But you don't even see them at all, and I really like the fact that you can feel the presence of the Empire and feel the shadow of the Empire, um, but not see them too often because it then it really adds impact when you do see them. And so, like uh, in, the, in episode four, when Cassian is you know on the on the on the planet, and suddenly there's these Tie Fighters that roar across the hill, and you haven't seen any Empire for a while. That really is quite terrifying, and I think that's uh, I think that's really good. I really enjoyed the the Tie Fighter roar. Like it's just such a, a classic sound, mm. isn't it? And even when you look at the Andor poster, there's, there's actually a couple of X wings on that poster as well. So I'm I'm very intrigued to see. Like I, I'm I'm expecting some sort of great uh, space heist as as we kind of get into this and the and the tensions to really rise in, in the upcoming episodes. But it's it's been a it's been a really different, I think, largely enjoyable watch. And I think. I have done myself a disservice by having to watch most of this on my on my phone, so I'm going to have to do a, a proper rewatch in front of a, a TV. Yeah, oh, I think it's definitely worth it. Um, the the two other characters I want to talk about very briefly: um, Luthen, who play who's played by Stellan Skarsgård, another actor with a great voice. I really love the dynamic of how he's um, real gritty and then has to put on this front mm. because. Um, there's spies everywhere, so everyone has constantly got their game face on. It reminds me of when you're at work in a meeting and you've got to be great, you've got to be patient with these stakeholders, but as soon as you walk out the room, you, know, you show your true colors. This is what's going on here. There's like a real, um, there's a real two facedness there. And the other person, Mon Mothma, played by Genevieve O'Reilly, I, I was saying to Diana when we were watching the, the most recent episode, she must be just absolutely loving her turn of luck because she she did those scenes for revenge of the sith as mon mothma it all got cut out of the final and we didn't see her on screen and then of course they bring out rogue one and bring her back and so she gets a chance to play that character and then they do a prequel series and they're like oh can you come back for some more and i think she's really good and, and the mon mothma connection keeps it uh, you know you have that line of sight all the way through to return of the jedi and i really love exploring her journey uh, just as much as Cassian's. I, I agree, and I think it's it's sometimes some of these uh, slightly obscure but kind of like big impactful characters, which provide turn out to be the most interesting, right? Mm. And it's 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 almost kind of nice, I think, in a series like Andor, when particularly like when Cassian sort of is finally meeting some of these people in episode four and not to be like, Oh, who is that? Is that like a, you know, like, a, like you're looking for like another big main character yeah. connection, but it's actually just kind of more world building the wider star Wars universe. And I think the other thing too, and you sort of touched on this a little bit earlier, particularly with the, as the empire starts to come in and even when it's not Empire, there's such a level of distrust between all of these characters, and everyone's constantly trying to 
outdo their their peer or their colleague to kind of get the upper hand and sometimes that pays off and sometimes it fails and everyone's kind of horrible to each other it's Sometimes I find that so fatiguing with the empire, and it's just like it's just like how hard would it be to just constantly be in that space of like, you know, trusting no mm-hmm. one, always basically like ne- always having to look over your shoulder. It's a it's a hard world to live in, but it's 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 what Star Wars does best. I yeah, guess. and and I think actually that's one of the things I'm. I think we may come to appreciate from this series is we're not just seeing that singular and or story. Um, just like with Obi-Wan, we weren't seeing a singular Obi-Wan story, but this one, the, the fourth episode has introduced some characters and we're clearly going to see uh, an inside story on the Empire side as well with the ISB. And I feel like I'm almost just as interested to know what it's like to be part of that that regime and, and, and the struggle of working for the Empire and having to, you know, constantly... Yeah, everyone. No one. There's not a. There's not a good cope up there. No one's there for each other. There's no team feel. Everyone's out for themselves. And so, you know, maybe that's ultimately why the empire failed. I would kind of be interested in an ISB. Oh yeah, series. See, that's that's where the real. Oh, that people people have. There's a similar organization ish in 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 Star Trek called um, Section Thirty One, and people have been saying let's have a series about that, and they they apparently got one in the works, and I think this. The ISB, if I think about any of the novels from Thrawn to Inferno Squad, the ISB stuff, that intelligence space, the you know, security and the eyes and ears of the Empire, I think that would be an absolutely a brilliant success. I think that would really resonate with mm-hmm. a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Well, this is good. I, I'm... I'm intrigued to see where we're going. We've got a, a 12 episode season one, which is which is a lot for a a, a Star Wars series. Mm. Uh, but I think it's I think we're in for a journey. I think this is definitely going to be a show where if you if you don't like the pace, maybe try to save it up. Uh, but if you are going to watch it, be prepared for a, a bit of a a different journey than what you would typically get with your Book of Boba Fett's and your Mandalorians and your your Obi Wan's. Yeah. No, 100%. And obviously we'll be having an episode each week, which is great, but I do think they made the right decision to drop three. And I know we've talked about this sort of thing before, but particularly yeah, for a show like yeah. this where the pace is so slow, I think um, dropping three straight away was a, a an excellent idea. I think so too, and I think that it's – and you say this all the time, I think that is the the good model for the future mm. Give people enough to kind of get started. And I think if this show just dropped one episode, I think it would have struggled because people would have been like, what are we doing mm, here? Where's it going? Right. Are we going far enough? And I even think, you know, from a, a half measures perspective, are we actually better to chunk this TV show up a little bit to review it as well? Because, True. you know, sometimes like has enough happened? When we'll, do it, we'll, we'll obviously we'll adapt on the fly, but does enough happen in each episode to to warrant a bit of a segment on the pod about it? Or is it better to save them? I up? think it's a good idea. And I think, especially in a show where they're going to do flashbacks because at first the flashbacks almost worried me a little bit because they, they've done that in Mandalorian and they did it with Boba Fett and I thought it worked in those series and I was like, oh, do we need to see him as a kid as well? Do we need to do that in every series? But as that story played out, I think it was necessary. I think it was significant and I don't know that we're going to revisit the, that too much. Maybe we will, who knows? But I thought the flashbacks, if you're going to do that again, three episodes makes that work otherwise one episode you could come out being almost annoyed mm-hmm. well that is uh andor you can watch that on disney plus at the moment paul shall we jump on into our movie of the week indeed so every week dan and i take it in turns to review a movie uh we announce what that movie will be a week in events over in our discord community uh, which you can join if you'd like by clicking the link in the show notes and Dan, talk to me, Goose. What are we watching this week? So this week we are actually this is a a, a bit of a not a unique but a bit of a, a different thing for us to do here on the Half Measures podcast. We're actually we've brought back in uh, Top Gun Maverick, and I I know I did a, an individual review of this just a few episodes ago, but um, now that it's a, a bit more available, I was keen to have a another bit of a, a wider conversation now that Paul's had a chance to also watch the movie. So. Top Gun Maverick is a is a follow up to the original Top Gun movie. So after 
sort of 30 years later, Maverick is still pushing the envelope as a top naval aviator, but must confront the ghosts of his past when he leads Top Gun's elite graduates on a mission that demands the ultimate sacrifice from those chosen to fly in it. Paul, I'll let you go first. What did you think of this one? This is epic. This is absolutely superb. I felt like my face almost hurt by the end of it from smiling so much, just enjoying it so much. It was, if you, if you think about, um, if you think of, of a quintessential gangster movie or your best ever thriller or your funniest comedy, this is what that movie is for, for, for I don't know, for, for aviation or military type action movies. It is, and I don't use the word lightly, it is a masterpiece. I think it ticks every single box for me and it it just... Right from the start, I had a sense because obviously I'd heard from you and I'd heard from a lot of people, you know, in my council that it was good. But um, from the moment the opening credits start, the style of those credits, the music, same as the original Top Gun, even using the same font in the credits and just delivering in that same vibe, um, I just thought this movie was absolutely top draw. And I, I it's. I'm going to say it, I think it's a better movie than the original and I and I and I just can't imagine that any of us could have predicted that a sequel to Top Gun could be as good as what this movie is. Every, and look, this is this is largely going to be repeating everything I've previously said. I think this movie is is fantastic. It's amazing to me that you can kind of strike gold twice with a movie like this. And you know, there's a people have a real love hate with oh, yeah. Bruce, but I think they like for, for me, this is, this is just so good. Like it's it's such a, a a great story. The stakes are high. It's filmed immaculately. The and I think you're right. It's the they've got the the soundtrack is so perfect. They've got the introduction of kind of the new era of pilots. I think there's enough Tom Cruise in it for it to still to kind of keep its heart, but it's kind of humbled. Tom Cruise a little bit as well at the same time that you know that there is a new generation of pilots and I just think this is one of the we talked about this a little while ago on the pod like this is you know I feel like this is back to the core of what a great action movie is and this just does so many things right that it makes me want more Top Gun but can we do it a third time I, I, I don't know but it was amazing. This is one of the, I think, would be one of my top movies of the year, and it it has no right to be as good as it is, and it's it's better than yeah. that. Yeah. Oh, everything you, you you said. I mean, to pick up on a couple of things, you're right. There are a lot of people who who dislike Tom Cruise. They're quite 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 a strong dislike, and, and I'm just so glad I'm not one of them. This guy, for me. I just I love him in real life. I think when you see him on the couch in an interview, I think he's just great. And on the screen, he does he delivers everything that I want in just about every movie he does. And and I think alongside the the Mission Impossible movies, this is he's now made this another legendary character that's become part of a movie series. Now that we've got two, he's he's brought a character back so successfully. And I think, yeah, I know what you mean when you say oh, I'd love to see some more. I th- I think. I think it, this will be the last time, but you know, we've, if we've got Harrison Ford returning as Han Solo and Indiana Jones in his seventies, and now he's eighty, let's not rule anything out. I think there's a thing like you know, I think what this does is it kind of sets the potential for particularly a, a Miles Teller kind of like spin-off um, Top Gun, and with maybe a bit more of a, a lighter touch Tom Cruise. But I don't. It, that feels real high risk to me of whether it would be a, you know, a, a four out of ten versus a, a eight or nine out of ten. So I, I, I don't know whether it's the right thing to do. But it's, it, I, I just, I, I, I gush over this movie because it's got such a great cast. It's got so many great moments. It reminds me of the original Top Gun because as the as the movie's kind of playing out and they've just got this classic 80s soundtrack kind of banging away in the background, you feel hyped up watching it. Yeah, oh you really do. And um I think I think it's it is a dangerous territory to think about, you know, do you do you take this to a TV series and do you entrust that into someone else's hands and do they do as good a job and does it work without Maverick in there, you know, and 
what what is it that's drawing us back this i don't know that's an interesting question i am um, but you know when you see right from the start the credits go out you you got jay brookheimer's name come up and and it just takes you back to those those those, those classic movies and and seeing val kilmer's name in the opening credits as well i really liked that he had his name there and i think the manner in which they handled uh the inclusion of val kilmer and and the way in which Iceman or ice as a uh, maverick calls him i i uh i thought they played that spot on and i'm i i just feel really pleased for for val and i would love to see some sort of behind the scenes documentary or, or whatever to see because i i think um having watched the val documentary it was obviously important to him and it was great yeah yeah <clears throat> this is a uh, much like the last this isn't all the guns movie oh, for me the I, I find it really hard to criticize this movie in any respect i think uh but i think it was only at the end credits that i realized because they they did they brought the photos back up and we had ed harris's character there if anything i wanted more of ed harris because you know they bring him out as a big gun at the opening scene they have him in the main opening credits but on in reality his on-screen time is probably only for like four or five minutes and i just feel like they could have i feel like they could have squeezed in a bit more of the ed harris uh, character story because he just had that brilliant you know, at that age as well he had that perfect uh, vibe to play that sort of you know aviation general badass character that nobody likes but you love to see in a movie um but yeah it's all the guns for me i mean the stunts the fact that it was real life you know that all the the actors were in the cockpit um it was you know some of the shots were were cliche and there were slow-mos that's not a that's not a criticism that's a compliment you want that in this sort of movie and you want to see those moments and you want to see the aviators and the smile and the other the, the final thing i want to say about miles teller is that you were right about this guy i thought he was really good as rooster and i think i gave him a little bit of a um a had i don't know I, I i didn't rate him particularly when when you and i um re- reviewed him i can't even remember the name of the movie we saw him in spider Spidey. that was it with chris hemsworth um but he was it was a big part to play it was an important pivotal part to, to have that link to goose and yeah all the guns, real good watch. And and what a great dilemma, right? Like it's you know, like do you kind of like protect your your best friend's son, or do you actually help him? You know, correct. Yeah, love his dreams. But yeah, anyway, this is a fantastic movie. I am sure you're already watching this if you're a Top Gun fan. If you're not, go and watch both of these movies. You're in for a, a, a hell of a good time. Shall we? Uh, actually highlight of the week yeah i mean really tough this week because I, I loved anatomy of a scandal i loved andor but maverick is top draw it's it, you and i do a lot of top 10 lists and i think if we ever were to dare do a top 10 action movies list that's a big list this movie's in that mix that's how good it is so for me it has to be maverick yeah i think i'm going to back you on that one it's uh and it was just as good to watch a second time and and you know, for a movie that I've just watched, you know, in the last sort of six weeks or so, and to still have that same feeling on round mm. two, it's got to be good. Awesome. Dan, what news have you got this week? All right. What have I got on the news desk? These are the big questions. So I've got a little bit of stuff here. So let's have a look. So Deadpool 3, um, they have confirmed that Hugh Jackman will star alongside Ryan Reynolds. So we have got a a Deadpool slash Wolverine debut, which is huge. So it's always sort of, you know, Logan was meant to be the the last uh, Hugh Jackman Wolverine movie. And for him to come back and do this role, I think is, it's going to be great. I imagine that movie is going to be a lot of fun. It's only just been announced. So lots of information still to come out, but it will be definitely one to watch and one I'm sure we'll talk about more here on the pod. Uh, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, has been announced as having the longest runtime of any non-Avengers movie to date. So it's clocking in apparently at two hours forty-one, which which is big. That's uh, that's either going to be epic or it's going to be probably forty-one minutes too long. So um, <laughs> we'll we'll look. I'll I'll keep you posted on that one. The Last of Us trailer has uh, now dropped, so this is going to be a new TV series on HBO. This uh, stars the the Mandalorian himself, 
uh, Pedro Pascal. And this, based on the uh, Sony PlayStation game, looks like it's going to be incredible. This is going to be a, a great sort of survival apocalypse TV show. Cannot wait for this one to to come out. I think it's going to be good. Looks like they've really invested heavily in it. They've got a, you know, you've always got to be cautious when they're doing games to movies slash TV. But I think the right people are behind this mm. one, um, which is which is really good. Uh, James Earl Jones has signed off on the AI um, recreations of the Darth Vader voice. So it looks like we're going to have the the James James Earl Jones Darth Vader voice for many years to come, which I think is uh, a, a wonderful thing. As as big fans of that of that voice of Darth Vader, yeah. Oh, it's uh, it's protected that uh, very special voice that if you try to recast, I just don't think. There are some voices in this world that you can recast. Indeed, indeed, and that is one of them. Uh, Avatar, Avatar, Avatar is uh, one big at the global box office this weekend. So it's been re-released after thirteen years, and it's made uh, thirty point five million dollars over the weekend with a, a re-release, which I think is just incredible. Mm. With a, a movie that's been available to watch on so many platforms for thirteen years to make it back to the theater and and, and do so well, so. Congratulations there. And final two things for me. So The Crown Season 5 has got a November premiere date. So that will be coming out on the 9th of November, which is uh, exciting. I feel like The Crown as a TV show is getting a lot of love at the moment after the the recent passing of Queen Elizabeth. So I imagine people will be eagerly awaiting this season. And final bit of news for me, so Vince Gilligan's uh, new paranormal TV series, which is going to be coming to Apple TV, um, has cast Better Call Souls Rhea Seahorn, which I think is awesome. So it's uh, we we love Vince Gilligan here, and we, we love Rhea, so looking forward to seeing what that show is about when it comes to Apple TV in the near future. So good. Any, any news on your report? A couple of things. Um... And yeah, just so good to have those two back together. Um, that's really good. The Crown um, is another one of those shows that often makes it in my top 10 list, but I won't have the pressure of including it in this year's list because I'm going to be watching it in January when I have family visiting from the UK. You know when you have to save up some shows to watch when you've got family visiting? That's going to be my show. So it won't be something I watch this year, but it may get retroactively added back into that top 10 list. We'll have to see. Um, what have I got? So there's so much... I mean, I'm just going to really quickly skip through some of it. There's there's a Cloverfield sequel coming. That's exciting. We've got a new series of of you announced, and you and I were like, is there room for another series? Well, there's one coming. It'll be interesting to see how that goes. You've got The Witcher Season 3. Um, there's uh, the Adams Family spinoff um, Wednesday. Uh, we've got a Bridgerton spinoff called Queen Charlotte. Um, we've got Jack Ryan finally returning. Um, we had the series, I haven't watched it, but the Yellowstone season five trailer, you know, that's, that's getting a lot of, uh, traction and hype. Um, I'm just, I'm just going to wait, I think for that series to, to come out. And then probably the, the biggest thing, which will have an impact for us, both in terms of what we watch and potentially our wallet is, um, AMC plus, which is coming to New Zealand next month. Uh, I think it's nine ninety nine a month, but it's going to be interesting because um there's some stuff on there so we've got um you know the walking dead then <laughs> i don't want to trigger you but you know tales of the walking dead's going to be on there i imagine they'll move some of the amc series they've already said that um breaking bad and, and better call saw will go across there um so yeah so acorn tv is going to be accessible through this that is a massive course trouble for me dan because that stuff is loaded with british dramas and as uh, Sador, Sador from our Discord community will be pleased to hear, the platform Shudder is going to be included as part of it apparently as well. I haven't seen that confirmed, but I've seen a lot of rumors about it online, but where there's smoke, there's fire. So just to clarify, so AMC is going to bring out a platform to New Zealand where they're going to pay me nine ninety five per month to watch Walking Dead. <laughs> you're, you're going to pay them, but yes. I don't know why. So I feel like the Yellowstone, I feel like 1883, I feel like there'll be a number of things that will will move across. I think it's not necessarily good news for the Wallets, but I think there may be some series that we may not have had access to before, which we will now. So let's watch this space. 
Well, I think we're going to have to do an audit of all these uh, all these channels we subscribe yeah. to. It's 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 too be much. much. Um, quickly in the mailbag, then once again, quite quiet this week. Perhaps the social media manager has been busy on the road or something. I don't know. But as always, we do have our peak performance, which last week was Vigo Mortensen, and um, perhaps some unsurprising choices this week. But here we go. Uh, Jason from Porirua, he went with Appaloosa, um, which I thought was uh, a, gr- a great show, another great Ed Harris movie. Um, Shannon from Wellington went uh, with um, Aragon in Return of the King. Uh, a patron producer, Diana, went with um, Aragon in The Two Towers. Uh, and then we had a couple of three, two, ones. Uh, Michael from the fine state of North Carolina, he went with the director's cut of 1990s Leatherface Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, <laughs> a movie that was universally panned. So I really appreciate that movie making that list because we all have, we, you know, we all love a few movies that the world hates. So kudos for having that in there. Number two spot went to 1995's The Prophecy and his number one was Lord of the Rings. And then Paddy from Time Traveling Teamp Podcast gave us History 2-1. Eastern Promises, brutal movie. History of Violence, brutal movie. And The Two Towers for peak performance number one. So I like how we've had specific mentions. <laughs> I love how we've had specific mentions for all three individual Lord of the Rings movies uh, and a few deep cuts as well. That's the mailbag. Good shouts. Good shouts as usual. Shall we uh, jump on over to our peak performance for the Indeed. Week? So like our movie of the week, each week we take it in turns to look back at the career of someone from Hollywood and try and pick out what we think is their best performance. This week, Dan, Matt Damon is your choice. Matt Damon. So I'm... Again, I'm blown, like, why have we not done Matt Damon? We've talked about so many movies with Matt Damon in it. It's it's madness that we're at episode 135, and this is the first time we're talking about him. So I'm going to go with my choices this week for honourable mention. I'm actually going to go with the, the 2019 movie, Ford vs. Ferrari. And so this is a movie where Matt Damon plays uh, Carol Shelby, uh, a race car driver, and it, this was a movie that I didn't expect to love as much as I did. And it was a movie that it, it just, it was such a good watch. And I really genuinely believed in the, in the, in, the, in Matt Damon's performance. And I enjoy, like, cause I think of Matt Damon as a bit of an action hero at times and more in a, not, not so much a popcorn action hero, but still a, a bit of a, like he, he plays those roles re- really well. And mm-hmm. I think to see him in these sorts of roles is, is always a, a pleasure. And I think he, he brings a certain edge and, and cockiness to it, which, um, it's, it's an enjoyable watch. So Ford versus Fer- Ferrari is my honorable mention, but I can't go past. And I imagine this is in your list somewhere, Paul, is I can't go past the board identity. Like, I'm Jason Bourne, you know, like it, just such a a fantastic role. I think this just started such a great spy movie saga. You've done a rewatch of all the movies. A lot of them, like there's a great story in here. I think in his, again, like this just speaks to, I think his, he's got a great kind of like some at times understated kind of hero persona. Mm-hmm. And I think he's, he's kind of believable as a spy. Um, I think this this series has delivered a lot of joy. It's got a great rewatchability. It's just a it's a peak performance for me. That's great. I may surprise you because we're going to have four different roles uh, this week, and I love it when we've got that. So I'm so pleased that you've got Jason Bourne in there because I shocked myself because I was convinced, and then I started thinking about it, and I started looking, and I was like, oh my goodness. My honorable mention, Dan, is the two sec- 2006 movie, The Departed. And uh, I, job. I mean, take a look at the cast of this movie and putting aside even the, the support cast to be in a lead role alongside Jack Nicholson, Leonardo DiCaprio in a Martin Scorsese movie. That's, that's the acting challenge of a lifetime. And for me, I think, I actually think Matt Damon is, is top dog in this one. I think he plays perhaps the most complex character as that, you know, as that correct, corrupt cop and I just think he's great in it. And I think, you know, he, the scenes where he goes up against Alec, uh, Alec Baldwin and, and Matt uh, Wahlberg in the um, in the intelligence and law enforcement scenes, I just, as some of my favorite scenes from that movie. And I just, yeah, I I absolutely love 
The Departed. It's a movie I've watched many times. And so that gets my honorable mention. But the movie that I've actually got as my peak performance is Ridley Scott's 2015 movie, The Martian, as Mark Watney. I just think this is another movie that I absolutely love and I will never tire of, of rewatching. I, I find it, um, I don't know, I find it inspiring. It's tense. It's funny. It's great action. It's a Ridley Scott movie. It's without doubt the best Mars movie of them all for me. And I just think it's it's not a solo performance because there's all the stuff going on back home or whatever. But, you know, he, he's, he's, he's trapped on Mars all by himself. And a lot of it is just him there trying to grow potatoes and just, survive and i just find it an absolutely extraordinary performance i just i i I just think whoever they cast in that role as matt watney could have could have made or broken that movie and i just thought that damon was just immense and i surprised myself because i thought i had matt damon in my mind i thought i knew what i was and these these are my choices dan and i stand by them so that is my choices for this week these are my choices those are good shouts and and Matt Damon is such a great back catalogue of films. You could, there's there's a lot of good stuff in there. Well, Paul, that probably brings us to the end of uh, episode 135 of the Half Measures podcast. It does indeed. Thanks for listening in. Uh, let us know your peak performance for Matt Damon. See how many Jason Bournes we get in there. Um, if you've got any movies or TV shows to suggest to us or comment about anything that we've talked about, get in touch on our social media or at halfmeasurespodcast.com. Also, a very special shout-out to our Patreon producers, Samara Whiting-King, Trisha Brady, and Diana Kanawa. If you too would like to become a Patreon producer of the show, then you can find those details in the show notes below. But until next week, everyone, adios.